Nearly 17 million now unemployed here in the U.S. Does it matter? Apparently not. Nick and I will talk about the disconnect between the stock market, the economy, and real people, and the suffering that is going on around the world. Gold is at 1713, looks strong. Silver closed at 1540 today, not so much. Uranium seems to have some momentum. There seems to be capital coming into the junior resource space. We'll get to that. I am Gerardo Del Real along with my co-host, the quarantined, the COVID-19 free, <laughs> Mr. Nick Hodge. Nick, how are you? This is episode 65 of Bizarro World. We've done uh, 64 of these going on 65. How have you been, sir? I've been doing really good. Still healthy, thankfully. Had a uh, good Easter with the family. Made some ham and, uh, and a potato dish. And so... Uh, just anxiously w- watching the markets and, and keeping pace with developments as as everyone else is doing. So um, happy to talk about it. Gosh, there's a lot to talk about. I know we were ready to to do it last week and had a bit of technical difficulty. So here we are recording on 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 Monday. I'm not as fired up as I was, but I still have a lot to say. So anxious to talk about it. You know, I'm kind of in the same boat as you are. I had a lot of things to rant and rave about, and I still do. However, it does seem that um, the, 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 there's a sense of complacency in the overall market, especially in the U.S. indices, right? I mean, the Dow today was down 1.39%. We're recording on Monday as opposed to Friday, everybody, uh, because of the technical issues that we had last Friday. But, you know, the Treasury market seems to have stabilized a bit. The VIX has come down a little bit. The trading range seems to have narrowed. However, as I joked before we got on, Weez is smart again, right? Gold is at 1713. Um, I'm looking at my portfolio. We're still underwater on some, but there were positions that were down 30% just a a few weeks ago. And all of a sudden we're up in the green now, right? So let's start with gold because I think that's going to dominate the headlines here for at least the next several days. And and, and we know in the mid to long term um, for probably the next several years, but how are you feeling about this latest run up? I mean, we, we, we said last week we thought it would, it would continue on. Um, I'm curious to hear if you think we get a slight pullback here or does this continue? Well, slam dunk nailed it with the inverse head and shoulders that presented last week. It was sort of a mm-hmm. gimme, right? That it was going to go to 1700 bucks. Um, was surprised to see it as strong as it was in the futures over the weekend. I saw some screen grabs of futures on Twitter while I was scrolling and saw it up around, I don't even remember what the number was, 1730 or something crazy. And I was like, damn, uh, we're going to start really good to the week. But then this morning it was, you know, start of the day, at least as I saw below uh, 1700 before uh, gaining strength. Look, you know, the, again, it's crystal ball stuff, but the, now we have no resistance, right? There's nothing now between um, $1,800 gold. And so, um I, I think we get there. I mean, it, it was halfway there nearly or a third of the way there t- t- today. And given the sheer amount of uh, capital that's come out, um, of course, I'm, I'm rooting for for gold to go higher because, um, like you said, there's a disconnect. And in that disconnect, there's a bit of um, maybe not animosity, but it's a it's a very real it's a fight. Right. Is the is capitalism going to win out true capitalism or are we going to have um I know you're going to talk about the Facebook guy, but are we going to allow companies to are we going to allow companies to fail and and get true capitalism where um, you know these debts are dealt with and in that environment gold is going to do really well and of course I'm going to argue the the latter right and so um, do we get a pullback you know of course a pullback is is always in the cards things that go up 
um, come down, trees don't go, grow to the sky, you know, choose your saying. But what do you call in a pullback? You know, I mean, I'd have to look at a chart. But if we go down to like, gosh, if we pull back, quote, I'm doing air quotes now, pull back <laughs> to 1650, who cares, right? Who cares is right. If that is the new floor, um, then, then you know, we're, we're in for a, a, a prosperous rest of the year in the gold space anyhow. Um, let me pivot because you mentioned uh, Mr. Shamath Paliapatiya, who is a former and very early Facebook executive and uh, the, 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 the founder of Social Capital. Um, he had an interview, he did an interview with CNBC last week where he basically um, outlined a lot of my beliefs. And, you know, the question was posed by Scott Watner, I believe is the gentleman's name from CNBC. And he asked him, he said, um, you know, there's a lot of people that believe that the airline should fail. Are you arguing to let airlines fail? And I love the answer initially. The answer was just yes. <laughs> and and the look of disbelief on, on, on the analyst from CNBC's face was, 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 was priceless. I'll put a link up, but this is what Paliapatia said. He said, this is a lie that has been purported by Wall Street. When a company fails, it does not fire their employees. It goes through a packaged bankruptcy, right? If anything, what happens is the people who have the pensions inside those companies, the employees of these companies, end up owning more of the company. The people that get wiped out are the speculators that own the unsecured tranches of debt or the folks that own the equity. And by the way, and this was my favorite part, those are the rules of the game. That's right, because there are people that purport to be the most sophisticated investors in the world. They deserve to get wiped out, but the employees don't get wiped out. The pensions don't typically get wiped out. And so Wapner came back and said, why does anybody deserve, using your word, to get wiped out from a crisis created like this? And he said, just to be clear, this is um, uh, Paliapatia. He says, just to be clear, like, who are we talking about? A hedge fund that serves a bunch of billionaire family offices? Who cares? Let them get wiped out. Who cares? They don't get to summer in the Hampton in the Hamptons. Who cares? Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Nick. I think, you, I mean, those are my thoughts. Like you Good. said, I mean, this guy is, that thing was getting retweeted and, and liked incessantly. I saw one person say it was like watching porn, right? I mean, uh, that's exactly the belief, right? Let them fail. That's the only way you have a, a true capitalistic system. Um, and, and just like you said, the, the people who have taken the risky bets on the on the debt are the ones that are going to have to be punished um, instead of and what I've been seeing the uh, word more and more. And I'm glad to be seeing it more and more is socializing the losses. Mm. Why are we socializing the losses? Yeah. Right. We can't afford socialized medicine and we can't afford socialized this and socialism is bad that. But we can afford to socialize the losses of billionaires it, and not even just billionaires. Let's not even say that it's just investors or speculators. Let's just stop there. There's no cutoff or threshold for amount of uh, wealth you have to have to get wiped out for making a bad investment bet. I mean, that's not the criteria. The fact is. You made a, a bet. It went the wrong way. It's speculation, and and you have to reap the repercussions for the for the system to system, for the cycle to cycle, right? For capitalism to act as capitalism acts, as opposed to being, um, you know, morphed into corporatism or cronyism, which is more apparent now than ever. Hmm. Um, we can we can go right into black Let's get right into not, it. <laughs> if you're not see if you're not seeing it now, then I don't know when you're ever going to see it because now you've got BlackRock appointed uh, to administer the Fed's buying of all these um, different instruments, securities, loans, debt, bonds, 
um, everything, right? Because the Fed's not allowed to buy it itself. So it has to create these programs that are then administered by somebody. Well, in this case, it's being administered by BlackRock, who happens to also oversee $27 trillion of assets in the market. Um, and so there's so many analogies or, or stories you could tell to, to paint it, but it's just like the fox watching the hen house or uh, however you want to say that. But if if BlackRock is administering these programs and also has that many uh, that amount of assets under management, the conflict of interest couldn't be any more clear in that it can steer things the way it wants to steer things. Um, and that's the ultimate betrayal of a free capitalism system. And 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 not only does it have um, the 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 lever now to pull on as to how it wants to steer things, but let's talk about exactly how BlackRock has steered early. They're not even pretending, folks. They're not even pretending. They're looking to bail out private equity and high yield. If you are at home and you qualified for your twelve hundred dollar check that you're still likely waiting for. You should be, once this is over and, and the lockdown is lifted and it's safe for everybody, you should be in the streets getting your friends together, a la the tea party back in the days, um, and just absolutely furious about what's going on here. I mean, I, I, I think, and I lost count, I think there's been nine special purpose vehicles now created. Um, and, and, and what those are for, in case anybody is in the dark about that, these are special purpose vehicles that allows the Fed to basically work around existing laws and invest directly into, directly, indirectly, through the special purpose vehicle. It's just fucking magic. It's a magic show, right? It's a shell game. Um, so because the charter doesn't allow the Fed to do this directly, it just creates an entity that will allow BlackRock, the advisor, who's now managing that, right, and the Fed, to just dance around and do it through the special purpose vehicle. And the argument on the other end of that, for those that do support this is, well, we actually made money in 2008 um, from TARP, right? Um, okay, but what happens if it's not paid back? Then who takes the loss? Again, it's got to be made whole one way or the other. And, and your point was perfect. It was spot on, Nick. We're privatizing the gains and socializing the losses. And that is not capitalism. No, that's it. You can't. I mean, they're having their cake and they're eating it, too. They're saying we get to participate in all the upside and when everything was going well and the share buyback programs were intact and there was no virus and the uh, stock market was at record highs, albeit for all the wrong reasons. We get to participate in all of that. Um, but when our when when our, our speculations, our bets go sour and they go the other way, um, we don't we don't have to we don't have to participate in that. We get to push that on the tab of. Uh, the government or the Federal Reserve. And it, it couldn't be any stinking clearer, Gerardo. Could not, could not. Mark Cuban came out, billionaire Mark Cuban, who I think would win in a landslide against both Biden and Trump if if, if he actually ran. And, you know, it, it's too late in the cards for that. But I think I think he's obviously very business savvy. And his take, um, I believe it was Boeing, but let's just say an airline. There was an airline that came out and said, uh, we don't want to allow the government to take a stake in um, whatever loan they give us or whatever grant they give us. We just want the bailout money. And, and Mark Cuban's statement, and again, I applaud him for coming out publicly and saying so, was the U.S. government must get a great deal. The U.S. government's job is to negotiate on behalf of the taxpayers, which is where the money is coming from, or they can let the company fail. If Boeing wants to get a better deal, go get it. Don't waste our time. 
The government's job is to negotiate for the taxpayers. Again, spot on, spot on. And, and, and folks, you're, you're either a capitalist and believe in price discovery and believe in the business cycle and you're against everything that's going on or you're a corporate socialist. And you know what? No judgments. Be who you are, but at least be transparent and be clear on, on which side of the fence you're on because you can't have it both ways. You can't be out there criticizing AOC and Bernie on one hand and in, on the other hand, uh, be rooting for Carnival Cruise Lines to get its bailout and Delta and Spirit Airlines and all these people that you know did nothing but buy their stock back years and years and years without doing anything that benefited the public. And, and now you believe that everybody should get bailed out. Do we want to talk oil? I would love to. The U.S. is now mandating domestic oil cuts. How do you feel about that? Well, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I haven't read. I haven't read the article. I feel like it's an interrogation. I didn't. I didn't actually see that. I, what I saw was the, you know, the quote unquote orchestrated cuts between uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia. Uh, the, Say that again? Well, that's what it was. I just framed it differently and I did that on purpose because nobody's really framing it that way, right? Um, the, 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 The volatility in the oil space has been insane, obviously. You know, we had Donald Trump tweeting on Friday, I believe, that you know, there was going to be a, a, a 10 million barrel cut and that's now escalated to 20 million. But a part of getting to that 20 million was the U.S. government sitting down with domestic producers and saying, you have to commit to cut a certain amount. Or this doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, then you're going to implode because I can't get Russia and Venezuela and all these other, um, Saudi Arabia and all these other countries um, to follow along. And so the U.S. went ahead and decided, you know, the the domestic producers went ahead and decided that they were going to follow along. But again, that's not true price discovery to me. What's wrong with a buck 20 gallon of gas for, for, for people that have been punished for savers that have been punished for, 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 you know, older people in this country that are collecting money from a pension check every month and, and can't get more than a percent or two from the bank for their savings. They've been responsible. They've been prudent. They weren't levered up. They, they, they did everything correctly. They finally get a break on the price of gas and oil. And the first thing we do is, is, is is step in and, and, and be again, the bitter of last resort. I just, I, I, I don't know how else to frame it other than it looks like the U.S. is mandating domestic oil cuts. And it's, it's crazy because, I mean, I don't know if we want to get into a whole OPEC discussion, but we don't know if they're going to stick to their cuts. You mentioned the, the 20 million uh, barrel number, which I've only seen in a Trump tweet. I'm not sure if that's even been verified by anybody else. He said, you know, when oil prices went, when oil prices went down after the 10 million barrels, I think he was just like, oh, that's not a 20 million, 30 million, like whatever. How much do you need? What trillion barrels? <laughs> but and oil that's our down. government right now. Oil went down on this news as well. So, you know, oil went down to like $23 a barrel. And so, as I've said, it's not a it's not a Russia Saudi Arabia thing. It's a fundam it's a fundamental collapse in oil demand, which is now down some twenty off twenty two million barrels a day, and the tankers are like just going to be full if they're not already um, overflowing. And no, it's a complete tinkering of the market. Those companies um, should go away. You know, and I. Something I've written about since 2013 is those those shale producers weren't meeting their cost of production, were taking out all kinds of debt. And now you've already seen some of them have to start to file for, for bankruptcy protection. 
Um, you know, it's the same answer as, as to the first one you asked me. No, the free market needs to reign. Agreed. Agreed. Um, a little context back, back, back to gold here a little bit. Uh, the dollar was, you know, slightly down. Um, it's, it's broken below the hundred level, but still sitting right around 99, 99.44 uh, as of today here, Monday. Um, gold looks great. I mentioned off the top here that silver did not close at 1540. It, it It's participated a little bit, but not the way that most would expect. Um, though the volatility has certainly been there. Any thoughts on silver, Nick? Is it is it acting more as an industrial metal than industrial, a precious yeah. metal? Yeah. I mean, that's the easy answer. The I mean, what's the freaking ratio right now? I'd have to get out a calculator real quick. But I mean, it's at historic highs, right? And so, um, you know, people say they like to stack silver and you look on the message boards and people are talking about stacks over this, stacks over that. But then you listen to somebody like uh, Brent Cook, for example, and he'll tell you, um, he doesn't like silver specifically for that reason, because it's the poor man's gold and he doesn't want the poor man anything. And so, um, you know, I, I think that silver is the little brother and it always responds later. And so you're seeing a, a move of, of of big dollars into the gold space and, and that will eventually go elsewhere further down the, the food chain in the gold space and to the to the silver space as it typically does. But all in good time, I'd say. I'd say silver is gold's bipolar side piece. It just comes around, <laughs> just comes around when things are great and wants to shine too. It is there every step of the way when things are fantastic and money is flowing. But the minute things get a bit tough, silver goes away. And it takes a little bit for silver to come back because that's what side pieces do, right? So, you know, give it another hundred bucks. I think silver is going to be looking real good and winking and makeup all done in the whole nine. And the quality companies, you know, one of the companies on my list that was, um, up significantly today was like mag silver, for mm. example, and you, and you pull up the chart and mag silver is trading at the same spot it was, um, you know, in the middle of February before there was global pandemic. So, um, you know, quality is going to be quality, right? Absolutely. Let's talk uranium. I can't help but notice that uranium names are finally catching some momentum. I know you have some thoughts there. You want to provide a brief overview, Nick? Uh, sure. I'm not exactly sure what we've talked about recently as far as uranium in this podcast, but the sequence of events was uh, Cameco taking uh, Cigar Lake offline, which according to my, my napkin calculations itself is 7% of, of global supply. Um, and then there was speculation, you know, are the Kazakhs going to take supply offline? And in fact, that has now happened. That shoe dropped last week where they said because um, Adaprom is going to close production for several months. Mm. And that's really, really important, right? Because that's 40% of, of global production uh, in any given year of uranium. And then um, Cameco said it was going to close, um, you know, an upgrade facility and, and a refinery. And so um, it's a game of chicken. And so even in January, before we were talking about COVID, it was sort of when are the utilities going to come back? That's the next thing that has to happen. But now you've got um, Cameco, take, Cameco taking a big source of supply offline and the Kazakhs as well. Um, and I think unless the utilities are entirely asleep at the wheel, they've got to be starting to, to poke and prod each other and say, hey, when are we going to get back into this market? The spot market has certainly reacted. It was at like $24 a pound and at last check is, is 29 and change. Um, a pound and the equities have seen a response in kind. And so, um, you know, the last time the, the uranium market did its thing was back in 2007. And that was on the back of a, 
uh, a flood at the very same mine we're talking about now, right? Cigar Lake flooded, and that's what kicked off the last thing. So um, it's extreme events that 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 kick off, it seems, things in the uranium space. And certainly we're seeing extreme events now, not just the, revi- the, the virus, uh, but the fallout of it in the, um, the shutdown of of mines and and related purification and upgrade facilities in the in the uranium uh, you know fuel cell or fuel cycle uh, supply chain and so you know remains to be seen but you know Azarga just raised some money <laughs> albeit at a low level Fission took some money um, albeit off a very very low level after a complete collapse in the equities but but it went um, up right it, away immediately afterwards that was a that's in- correct interesting coincidence huh. <laughs> Uh huh. Up forty percent in one day, right? What timing? <laughs> it's funny how those things happen. But yeah, I mean, overall, um, still a uranium bull. Uh, events now falling into place that had to happen, and we'll see if um, how long Cameco keeps Cigar Lake offline. We'll see if it's able. Cameco, I'm talking about, is able to secure enough supply to fulfill its contracts in the market. I'm watching all the things, Gerardo. Did I miss anything? No, that's the point that I was uh, trying to steer you towards. The fact that they're going to have to come in and buy some of what they were expected to produce, right? And I think that's a big point and an important point. And I think that's what gets us past that 30 a pound on the spot. I mean, I know the spot is in the end all of everything. I get it. Don't tweet me, everybody, and give me the primer. I understand that. But it is something that's watched as, as a barometer, right? I think if uh, if we break through 30 convincingly and we get reports of, uh, you know, some some strain out there as far as supply goes, you, 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 you might see that um, spot price rush to that 40 level really, really quickly. Not a lot of resistance there. It's an interesting space. And again, the, the, the better companies in the space, and there's not a lot of them, have absolutely started to react price-wise. So very early, but like gold, a lot of runway. And for those of you that look at, you know, in the gold space, an Almaden or a Midas or a Revival up 20% today, 15%, 15%, other companies up more, um, and think that you missed, no, you haven't. Just do, 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 you know, pull out a three year, four year chart of these companies have been around that long and, and you can kind of get a better idea. And that was at a much lower gold price. Same with uranium. This is just the start of what we know tends to be a very, very violent cycle to the upside, the downside as well. But I think we're coming out of that, that, that nasty down cycle. Agreed? Yeah, agreed. And you got to point to the spot price because that's something that you can see every day. The contract price is a bit more. Um, well, not a bit more. I mean, the contract price is more opaque. And so, um, but they have bearing on each other, right? And so I, I think what you're seeing now, not only we're gonna have to see Cameco go into the spot market and buy, uh, but it also gives leverage, right, to the to the contract pricing where if a utility comes in and you know they're gonna they're not gonna be able to contract it at thirty dollars. I don't think that price is gonna be higher, especially if it's long term, because the utility the 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 producer is just gonna say, No, look, I mean we got mine shut down now. I'm not contracting with you at thirty dollars, right? And and again, for those that are new to the space, the utility ultimately doesn't mind paying fifty, sixty, seventy dollars because it's such a small input. Is that correct, Nick? That's it. The overall cost of maintaining and building and commissioning and decommissioning a, a, a nuclear reactor, the, the cost of the uranium is very minimal. 
Let's talk COVID-19. Here we are, uh, what, almost 20 minutes into it, and we, a little more than 20 minutes into it, and we haven't even touched on the fact that global cases are now nearing 2 million cases. Global deaths are at least 120,000. U.S. cases, more than half a million, were approaching 600,000, with U.S. deaths now at 22,000, almost 23,000, um, which, of course, is, you know, the equivalent of 9 or 10 um, 9-11s, right? As far as lives go. Um, is it time to reopen? That's the conversation that's getting floated out there now to the media and the news outlets. And that's the dialogue. And I, I, again, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Nick. You are in Washington state. Um, I am in Texas, just outside of Austin, Texas, two very different scenarios. Um, what are your thoughts? Is there is there a way to do this responsibly and open up a little bit at a time? Um, I'll be quiet. And I'll listen. Yeah, I don't. I'm going to start it off with a big old fat. I have no idea because um, I, I don't think anyone really knows. And so I'll just vomit up everything that I'm sort of stewing around in my head. One is that the testing isn't at a level where it has to be yet. I've been hearing that we're going to have a million tests available in a week for the past four weeks now. Yep. Um, and the the rate of daily testing, uh, just Google it, you can see charts, is not there yet. I mean, we're not doing enough tests to know. So that's like the first thing, right? Um, the second thing is um, it's going to come in waves. If you look at like all past virus outbreaks, pandemics, um, they come in waves because people are going to eventually go back out and it's going to come in cycles. And so it remains to be seen how strong um, the second waves are going to be. But ultimately, you know, each wave gets smaller in succession until the, the, the line is flat. Right. Um, I don't know how big the second waves are going to be here. And I don't think anyone does. Um, and frankly, okay. we don't know how big the first wave is. Right. Because like you That's said, right. we don't have the That's testing the, capacity. Uh, I mean, I, I read, you know, the statistics I just I just put up there. That's with limited testing. That's exactly right. And there's still people that don't know for a month. Like, um, you know, I like Sturgill Simpson. I, I, he's a country music singer. I was supposed to go see him in Me May. Too. And obviously the show has been <laughs> postponed without a date. I was reading in Rolling Stone magazine this morning that Sturgill Simpson posted on, an immigrant, uh, on Instagram that he just got tested positive for COVID-19. But it's been like a month since he took the test. He just got the results back. In It's... And so, and like, they wouldn't even test him. He was in the hospital. I forget the date. It was like March 14th or something, March 13th. He was in the emergency room, you know, all the symptoms, the whole deal. They wouldn't test him because um, they said there was no way he had it because he didn't fit the the markers that they were looking for. Uh, he had just gotten back from playing in Europe. Sorry, I'm going on a tangent, but I think it provides insight and context. He had just gotten back playing from concerts in um, Western Europe. They said that the disease wasn't there yet, so he wasn't at risk and he didn't need to be tested. Um, he had been back in the States for a couple of days, played like two shows in the South. I want to say like Missouri or Mississippi or something. Um, came down sick. They canceled his shows and, and all his subsequent shows. He went home to his wife. I think he lives in Tennessee. The very next day after they canceled his tour, he was in the ER with all the pains and they still wouldn't test him because they said he didn't fit the criteria. Um, so he eventually got released from uh, the hospital, went back home. And when National Guard drive through site testing became available, him and his wife went and got tested. 
Um, and yeah, and then they just got the results back. I can put a link up if you want. But I was like, Jesus Christ, man. Like celebrities can't even get tested. We talked about you could get a test if you're rich, but clearly not everyone can get a test. Um, and so uh, just very indicative that the testing is not as widespread as it has to be. Um, sorry for the little tangent there. No, that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted the context and I wanted your opinion. And and, and that's those are kind of my thoughts exactly. How can... That's it. And we don't know about the antibodies. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. But they're saying... At first we thought, you know, it's like chicken pox. When you get it, you're not going to be able to get it again. And now we're seeing tests that are saying only some people are generating the antibodies. So a lot we don't know. And um, literally just before we started recording today, I saw a couple of things popping up where states are now starting to sort of make their own consortiums like... Um, Vice President, Qu- I mean, I mean, New York Governor Cuomo um, was, <laughs> was um, saying that he and a consortium of like eight other states, Delaware, Rhode Island, Connecticut, were going to um, approach this via um, all their governors and they were going to make a plan to move forward to get everybody back to work together. But in the release that they put out today, it says they're not even going to have a plan for that for weeks. I mean, that was plural weeks, W-E-E-K-S, right? So they're not going to have a plan to get back to work for weeks still. That's on the East Coast here. Literally 30 seconds after I saw the Cuomo release, I saw a release from uh, state governor here in Washington, Jay Inslee, um, who also ran for president. Um, he's made a consortium uh, with Oregon and and California, the Western states, those three are banding together and they're going to make decisions for how to get um, back to work together. Um, and all these, the, the, the sub context is basically putting a thumb in the eye of the federal government, right? Because um, the release, the language that they use is, you know, we've been ahead of this. We're going to stay ahead of this, essentially saying we're not going to let the federal government fuck this up for us, right? Correct. Correct. And, uh, you know, similar situation here in Texas, just to kind of echo your sentiments. We have 29 million people, give or take a million or two. And, um, you know, we're bragging about having 100,000 tests. And so, you know, when I hear the governor today, he had a press conference and he announced that over the next several days, he would be announcing how we would slowly but surely here in Texas be reopening the economy. I'm not against reopening the economy if it can be done in a safe way, but you can't tell me it can be done in a safe way if you can't test me. That's right. And you can't test those around me. And that's just common sense. I'm a simple guy with with simple insights. And just if you can't test people, you can't know if it's safe or not for people to be around each other. Um, do all lives matter, Nick? Of course. <laughs> it's Easter, right? The spirit of that. Um, they should, but apparently inmate lives um, aren't as big on the priority list. And this is even on, you know, uh, Vice President, as you call him, Cuomo, Governor Cuomo, even for him in New York, which is the epicenter. You know, there's there's been protests in, 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 in several of the prisons, not just Rikers, but several prisons there about the lack of treatment. And, you know, in Washington state, I know there was a protest on the 9th of April where several prisoners have tested positive for COVID-19 and, you know, justifiably so, all the other prisoners are asking, what are you doing to help prevent the spread of this, being that it spreads in, ideally, the, the scenario that we're in. We're prisoners next to each other all day and night. And it's just, it's beyond me. How, how as a society, you know, we can, we can go from all lives matter and protests around the world and all of this and that. But yet when it comes to those 
however you feel about prisoners that are most vulnerable, it's not just the prisoners in this case, it's the staff, it's the COs, it's the nurses, it's, you know, so now you have a situation where prisoners aren't allowed visitors. They're being kept inside 23 hours a day with one hour of yard time and recreation. And again, for those of you that say they're in there for a reason, these are all bad people. Another argument for another day. Um, let's assume all of that. That's not going to mitigate without some preventive measures, the spread of COVID-19 to staff, to nurses, which then leave and go home and hug their kids or spend time with their spouse. And again, then you have another outbreak. And, and how do you contain something when, again, we just don't have the testing capacity to even know how serious a situation is. So if there's one, and I hate to make this a silver lining, but if there's one silver lining um, outside of the fact that I think we do come out of this with a better sense of community, um, it's that this virus doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care if you have a billion dollars or negative $10, right? Overdraft in the account. Um, if you're the prisoner or the guard, the virus doesn't care. And we better start looking at this in a very rational level. If we have any chance of restarting the economy in a responsible manner, we can restart the economy. Sure. If, if, if the ultimate goal is to let our, 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 you know, corporate socialism flourish, then sure we could open everything back up and just wing it and let's see what happens. But if we have the amount of cases that we have now and we're doing everything we can, supposedly, what does it look like when we, when we, when we get more relaxed on, on the restrictions? Um, and again, it goes back and I emailed uh, my state representative this morning about those two things, you know, testing, testing, testing. And what happened to fiscal conservatives? You guys are corporate socialists. You know, I, I, I like fiscal conservatives. I, I, I support that. Um, and, and so, you know, I reached out to my state Senator, uh, I encourage everybody out there, um, to do the same thing at the end of the day, will it get to the representative? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but if enough people do it at the very least, then maybe they think it's something worth talking about because right now it's apparent, um, that they could care less. That's well, that's exactly it. And I, I think this will foment some. Um, you mentioned the Tea Party earlier. I, I'm interested to see what sort of, you know, new tier of candidates emerge pissed off from this, right? And, and what sort of votes they get um, in elections to come. Um, you also said uh, a bit about a silver lining there. And, you know, I've seen some articles, not all, of course, but some where, um, you know, the guards and the, and the prisoners are uniting in their protest and uniting their voices to... Um, ask for the things that you were saying, how are we going to prevent this in the prisons, et cetera, which is, um, you know, not something you would typically see the the prisoners and the guards uniting. Right. So um, definitely a lot of interesting things happening uh, because of the virus. And 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 that's just one of them. And I'd also uh, be remiss if I didn't mention, I know I know you're an Inca Cola reader as I am, but there is a, a, a quote on the on that website this morning from. Uh, it's probably I guess over the weekend from George Carlin about mm. precisely what you're saying, the sanctity of life. And mm. it's George, Car George Carlin talking about now, well, not all life is sanct is has, you know, is sacred because we shoot ducks and we shoot quail, not just to eat them, but because it's fun. And, and certainly the <laughs> life, I'm, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. And certainly the life of cancer cells isn't sacred because we kill cancer cells. Um, and so, um, you know, 
basically he's saying, you know, we kill viruses and we get to decide what we kill. Um, and even as insofar as humans in, in wars and prisoners and things, right? And so the last line is the one I have to read. And he says, so at best, the sanctity of life is kind of like a selective thing. We get to choose which forms of life we feel are sacred and we get to kill the rest. Pretty neat deal, huh? You know how we got that deal? We made the whole fucking thing up. George Carlin, one of my all-time favorites. And just, Great. you know, not just a brilliant comedian, but just you know, uh, an incredible thinker, right? Oh, yeah. Whether it's, you know, this sanctity of life thing or, you know, governments and all the other stuff he talks about, for sure. I mean, I've quoted, I think I quote George Carlin in like the founding documents I put together for Outsider Club, for sure. Uh, legend. Agreed. Let me ask you this. We talked about, you know, the next election cycle and, and let's um, let's get to it. Uh, Bernie Sanders endorsed Joe Biden. Um, we have 17 million now unemployed officially, unofficially. We know that number is going to continue much, much higher. Um, I haven't looked at the betting odds recently, but is do, do you actually think Biden has a chance now? Uh, it's, it's a very loaded question, and it's one I think about all the time because I love the politics and you know that. Um, and I tweeted, I think, probably two weeks ago, maybe two and a half weeks ago, I'd have yep. to look it up, that Trump just lost the election. Now, um, that's not to say he can't win it back. There's a long time to go between now and November. And I think that's really what it hinges on. And um, he knows it, right? Um, that's why he's conflicted on what to do about the economy. I'm sure... Um, you know, he knows a, a two term uh, president doesn't win in a recession. Right. I mean, he's got all those facts. Um, and in one year, he's listening to the business leaders, Paul Tudor Jones, et cetera, whoever else he's listening to say, you know, you got to start this thing back up. And, and then the other side is listening to the doctor. And this this weekend was really the first time he publicly tweeted against Dr. Fauci. So we'll see how long um, Fauci continues to be uh, at the press releases. But Right now, I think it is a complete and utter flip of the coin, man. It's a total toss-up. If you want the betting odds, um, right now, Trump is a 50.3% favorite. Um, Biden's coming in at 42.5. Uh, Cuomo has leapt to 1.7%. Um, and then all the other people just rounded out there. But uh, it, it's a toss-up, right? And so... Um, God, there's so many dynamics at play. I talked to some people and you and I have had this conversation. And I think we talked about it a little bit here who are still, you know, defending the administration's response. Right. And we were talking about how it's not a partisan thing. The response isn't a partisan thing. It's a government thing. Mm -hmm. um, but they're just so beholden to the to Trump and the, and the MAGA and the Make America Great Again that they're blinded. Right. Um, and so I don't know, I have my own sort of personal barometer, right? That I use, like, not that I am all knowing or all seeing like the market or a betting market, but how do I feel like, who would I vote for day to day? And when I sent that tweet two weeks ago or whatever, I could definitely feel internally myself say, man, this, this guy, Trump is blown it. I could totally see Biden winning now. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, now it's back to, to a little bit more even I'd say, um, Oh, man, I'm no fan of Biden. Um, clearly, he's Me got the, <laughs> the Democratic establishment behind him. I mean, they consolidated in perfect order, including Bernie just today um, endorsing Biden. And so um, I don't know. We'll see. Is there any part of the response, whether it's the health care aspect of it um, or the economic 
aspect of it that this administration has done correctly. Um, I saw a press conference with President Trump last week where he was still blaming the the Obama administration for not replenishing uh, <laughs> not replenishing PPEs, right? Uh, after the SARS scare. You've been in office for over three years. Like, is there any part of it? And, and again, I'm, I, I, I don't mean this to be a partisan question. I'm, I'm, I'm asking because maybe I've missed something. But is there any part that you've looked at, Nick, and said, I like how they're handling this? I'll give you an example. I, with the trade war with China, I've gone on record and continue to believe that that was the right approach with China from the get-go. I thought somebody had to get tough. I was happy to see Trump and the administration do it. I, I disagreed with some of the approaches, but I'm not privy to the information and I'm not president. I just like the fact that somebody was finally talking straight in a very public manner um, to China. Um, but as it, you know, as it relates to this COVID-19 response, I personally haven't seen anything that, that, that encourages me for the next one for the next catastrophe, for the next pandemic, for the next, you know, natural disaster. I mean, guys, I, and I hate to be even put into the universe universe because I'm a big firm believer in energy, but we're like one massive earthquake away, away from really being fucked in this country. Oh, it's close. I mean, the East coast had, there was tornadoes in Baltimore today and, and the power lines I was reading were going down and I was like, man, that's all we need on the East coast is like some tornado like winds and that infrastructure disaster. You're exactly right. Um, it's funny you mentioned the trade wars because he's tried to take some of the victories from that and apply it to coronavirus, like the, the phased approach, like, oh, we can get another phase and we'll get a good response, right? Um, at least <laughs> in the markets. Uh, it's going to be like the phase two response to the coronavirus and the market goes back up because they like the phases or whatever. Um, <laughs> Remember when we had color trade- alerts? From fucking George Bush. Is that where you were going? Oh, man. We were on red alert, um, orange alert, and I, green alert, and I, yellow alert. Oh, you remember all that? I remember. I certainly remember. The fucker um, of these people. I do. I do. Um, and what was I going to say? And some of the people he's talking about, like, oh, that was an Obama appointee or whatever. But some of those people were just like, they're just like government employees. They could have been appointed by Bush and just served through the Obama term. Like, he just doesn't understand. Had been there for so decades. Much, uh, Exactly right. Well, Fauci's been there for decades, right? I think Correct. he's been at his job since like 1984 or something ridiculous. Correct. Um, what was I going to say? So one thing, I've been searching for it this whole time. I've just been stalling because I'm trying to come up with one. And the only thing I'd say, because, you know, they denied it first. The, the testing hasn't been there. Um, it's been mixed messages about wanting to get back out and have packed churches by Easter. No, it's been entirely... Um, botched and well-documented. I'll put up a a multi-bylined item in the New York Times that just chronicles all the ways they could have and should have. He didn't uh, like that article. (laughs) And responded better, right? Um, But the one thing I think is maybe the positivity, right? He wants there, obviously, as we all do, um, to be an end to it and to be a cure. And that's evidenced in his tweets about, and, you know, hydroxychloroquine or whatever it is. And I get that you know, some people are saying he's conflicted uh, his shareholdings or whatever. But I think at least I I certainly hope those tweets come from a place of um, wanting to solve the crisis and have, you know, fewer casualties and honestly get back to normal because normal is better for him, certainly, than where we're at now. Um, but the the approach, even in the tweets about the certain drugs and stuff, I would say has been off the mark. 
Agreed. I mean, we, we now have like a Fox News Donald Trump beef. Did you see that? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> so um, this was uh, this was uh, Donald Trump, President Trump's tweet over the weekend. Just watched Mike Wallace wannabe Chris Wallace on at Fox News. I am now convinced that he is even worse than sleepy eyes Chuck Todd of Meet the Press. Please. Mm. Or the people over at Deface the Nation. What the hell is happening to at Fox News? It's a whole new ball game over there. And so this comes on the heels of Mr. Wallace explaining that bottom line is what the New York Times said, that 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 the response has been, you know, absolutely botched and that if this continued, he was going to lose the election. And he definitely, definitely was not a fan. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's a bizarre world, folks. It's 2020. We're halfway through April. Um, and now you got Fox News and Donald Trump going at it. And then, you know, to some of the Fox News um, anchors credit, they actually came to the defense of, of, of their co-host and their colleague and said, you know, enough of the third grade name calling. Can you focus on policy for just a minute and get off the television, which, you know, I thought was a good thing. Oh, a hundred percent. And, and that's what you need, right? Um, a stepping up of the media, not just to be fucking lapdogs like they are all the damn time. On both right? sides. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It was, you saw Matt Taibbi last week. If you didn't, I'll put yep. a link up saying he's going out on his own. He's doing the Substack thing. He's, he's getting paid individually because mainstream journalism is a fucking farce, which everybody knows. There's definitely truth to, to the fake news thing, right? Um, and not just to the benefit of Republicans or just to the benefit of, of Trump. I mean, it's like you say, it's it's on both sides. And and one of the things he was pointing out is that um, one of the main failures on both sides has been just to report what the president says as news, because that's how it always has been, as opposed to pointing out when it's factually flawed. Right. Um, and the approach needs to change. And and you, you see that the, the president doesn't like when the approach changes, but. Um, and how far into it now? Probably 40 minutes and I haven't mentioned the fourth turning yet, but here we are. It's uh, it's required, right? It's required. The, 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 these are the changes that have to happen and they have to happen not just on the left or on the right. Um, it has to happen simultaneously. And, and yeah, I, you know, this is absolutely one of those. Everybody's at home. Um, everybody's figuring this out together. Um, some of us are better off than others and luckier than others and more fortunate than others. And, and, and frankly, some of us had, you know, a lot more foresight than others. I mean, you know, I, I, I look at your situation, Nick, without me getting into too many specifics, you know, you, you, you mentioned it in your latest, uh, I believe it was early advantage newsletter about, you know, the preparations that you took, not because you knew COVID-19, um, was coming, but because you knew eventually something would, because it always does. Right. Can you speak to that approach a little bit? Well, you know, it's not prepper. It's just being, it's like Boy Scout stuff, right? It's like, just be prepared. And it's like, what's the old saying about, you know, luck? It's when opportunity meets preparation. It's it's not all luck, right? And so, yeah, I mean, I'm on a, I'm on a farm in the Pacific Northwest. I, I'm not in a, in a, in a crowded city. I got a, uh, a pond and that has fresh water in it. I clearly have, you know, I'm a hunter and I have weapons and, and gold and those sort of things. And so, um, I've just always been that way. I mean, I was I was raised on a farm. I saw 2008 um, go down and then, you know, my thoughts really crystallized around capitalism and, and the troubles it was facing. I mean, I founded a whole newsletter division on it. Right. 
um, which you also write for. And so it's it's nothing that we, um, you know, didn't didn't see coming or didn't know was um, going to happen. And and and, you know, again, not that we're riding this thing out without any problems and and it's not gloating or chest pounding, but it's um, it does feel good to be able to have your family in that in that situation and have people email you and say, oh, man, that was a good move getting to the Pacific Northwest out of Baltimore or whatever. But more than that, really, um, and, and this is what irks me and I think you and other people is um, why when an individual uh, why does an individual have to take such responsibility for themselves, right? I'm, mm-hmm. And I'm all, I'm all for individual. You know where I'm going to go with this. I'm all mm-hmm. for individual responsibility. <laughs> I love individual responsibility. Like I'll read me some some Nietzsche boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, anyway, so I take this responsibility. I pay off my student loans, and so I I don't get to partake in any socialization of the forgiveness of student loan debt. Yep. Um, I make a certain salary, and so I don't get to partake in the handouts of uh, not the handouts, but you know the checks that are that Congress is going to send out to everyone else. And I'm not complaining about that. I'm glad that I make the the money I make, and I'm glad that I don't have the debt that I don't have. But at the same time, I don't want a handout, and I would never expect a handout. And so, why do these companies? Let's just pick on Marriott as one example, who have profits in the billions of dollars on any given year. Why don't they have a six-month emergency fund, Gerardo? Why can't they, you know? Why can't they weather um, an economic storm? I can weather an economic storm. I can pay my mortgage for the next several months. I can feed my family. I took the the the, the preparative steps uh, necessary to uh, weather and, and thrive in a, in a downturn or a storm like we're seeing. Uh, but here. Uh, the titans of industry led by those with the most credentials behind their name who went to the uh, loftiest graduate schools and to get their MBAs. They can't fucking prepare for a virus. I mean, come on, you're not giving you handouts. And that's why I get so pissed off. Breaking news. The House will not return to Washington until at least May the 4th. Happy Cinco de Mayo, everybody. The Senate won't return until April the 20th. Unless they announced they have to come back to pass an emergency bill. Again, folks, I'm going to leave with that unless you have anything else. This is not about Democrats or Republicans or libertarians or rich versus poor or however else they try to divide us, white versus black and whatever, good Mexican food versus all other food. This isn't about that. This is about they don't care. They don't care. So if you have... Anything to say to a member of the House, you can wait until Cinco de Mayo because they won't be back until May the 4th. That's where we're at in 2020 on April the 13th, everybody. Here in America, anyway. It's even worse than Cinco de Mayo falling on Taco Tuesday and Corona fucking the whole thing up, Gerardo. And with that, folks, I am Gerardo Del Real. This has been Mr. Nick Hodge, episode 65 of Bizarro World. All jokes aside, Nick, do you have anything to add to that? Are there any stocks that um, we're not going to leave you hanging like like the politicians, everybody? Are there, are there any stocks in the uranium or gold sector? And I'm just I'm, 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 I'm picking those two sectors right now because I think that they deserve the more the, 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 the most urgency. I believe that, you know, the, 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 the price action indicates the volume, uh, the velocity of the moves recently, the fundamentals, the way those are lining up. I think there's a lot more opportunity there 
um, than in base metals or, or, or in oil even. Um, and, and I tend to stay away from the oil sector for the most part, but are there names in the gold space or uranium space that you would encourage people to do due diligence on that you don't think, Hey, you know, you haven't missed it. It's, it's early. Most people aren't aware. Um, there's a lot of runway here. I mean, you know, the names, it's not going to be anything new to anyone who, who reads us. I mean, uh, Almaden is one of the few things I bought. I just got word today that my shares were delivered into my account from the last private placement and I had to fax over my sub docs and proof of payment. So um, are, are, aren't you up like 50% already? When you got the stones to buy at the bottom, right? We is smart sometimes. again, Nick. We is smart again. I got a couple of yeah. nice subscriber notes finally a couple of days ago. Oh, that was I, good. <laughs> I was worried for a little bit there. What else? You said Almaden. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, Midas is another easy one that we've talked about and that I've been buying. Um, and then, gosh, I mean, look at the big ones. They still haven't had the moves, especially if you're new to the space. I mean, the Kinrosses, the Barracks, the Newmont, they've all had good quarters. Um, nobody's talking about which sectors are leading the market year to date because it's the gold miners. Um, Sabanye is another good one. I don't mm. want to get too too far down the list in tiny, tiny names because I feel like at least hopefully there's going to be some new people coming into the space and they should be starting with... Um, you know, those large producers I just said, and maybe the Franco Nevadas and Wheatons of the world. Agreed. I'll give you two small, smaller companies, um, explorer developer types. The one is now a producer and is still trading on the U.S. side. And the, the first one, you know, um, is Magna Gold. This is a company that both Nick and I wrote a check for at a dime back. Uh, I don't know how long ago it was, it was probably over a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's been halted. It, we, we've talked about it several times. It acquired the San Francisco mine for basically a song. The infrastructure is is worth more than the entire market cap, I believe. Um, and, and and it continues to trade on the US side, though it's been halted on the Canadian side. So I think it closed at 56 cents today. Um, pro acquisition, I think it's going to have approximately, let's say 60 million shares outstanding. So for less than 40 million US, um, there's gold on them pads right now. Uh, they have a couple of million ounces there across all categories. They also have great exploration upside. You got the expertise of Arturo Bonillas. With $1,700 gold, um, you'd be hard-pressed to find a producer um, that provides as little downside and as much upside as Magna Gold. So if you're in the U.S. and you got yourself a broker or a brokerage account, uh, look up the ticker and go get that. I think it's cheap, although it's had quite a run-up. And I've been, you know, we've been talking about Magna since it traded in the 10s and 20s back a year or so ago. I think it goes a lot higher once the halt is lifted on the Canadian side. And the second one is not one that I've spoken about a lot. It's Mawson Resources. Um, They have a project in Finland. They have a market cap approximately 38 million Canadian. Um, uh, They got a resource estimate coming in Q3 of this year that I think will outline, give or take, about 3 million ounces gold equivalent with some important cobalt credits. Um, the cobalt, I think, helps their permitting chances a couple of years down the line. They have approximately $5 million in cash in the bank. That's Canadian. Excellent management team led by Nick Cook and Michael Hudson. And they just picked up a package, a large land package, that I think in a better market will be worth what the entire market cap is right now of Fosterville analogs in the right part of the world. Massive land package. So Moss and Resources is one everybody should uh, take a peek at. I think it's cheap. I think it's got a, a a lot of runway and it hasn't participated yet in the recovery that some of these other names have. 
And we're seeing, as you know, um, the Fosterville area really heating up. And so some comparables there just to value um, or stack uh, Mawson's uh, assets against that they were able to to secure in the in the same area. Plus what you say they got going on in Finland. So I've been watching it out of the corner of my eye as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. They, you know, they acquired a lot or not a lot. Most of that land package was, you know, they had first mover advantage because of the relationships they had with the private owners of a lot of, 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 of that land. And so, um, should be interesting for Mawson moving forward. All right, everybody. Now I'm, now I'm being serious again. I, that, that, that is all I have this week. Nick, is there anything else that I failed to touch on or that you wanted to touch on? No, that's it. Um, I, I got uh, uh, one story I wanted to update on that we talked about months ago, but let's leave that as a cliffhanger for next week. Let's do it. Let's do it. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week. I hope everyone had a good Easter. If you don't celebrate, whatever you do celebrate, I hope it's great. Be nice to each other. Stay inside. Wash your hands. And uh, that's all we got. Episode 65 of Bizarro World. I'm Gerardo Del Real, along with Nick Hodge. Send us off, Nick. See ya.